first thing that comes to your mind, Brad? Terrell Shelley. He's when I started lion hunting, I just I he was he had roped for a long time before and then he had quit and then he started roping again right when I was quitting roping. So we've kind of crossed paths at the ropings. Man, and we're I'm talking just, competitive roping, right? Yeah, yeah. I I I roped at a pretty high level for, for many years and I cornered Terrell and just, I just try to get as much information out of me. I wanted, you know, I, of course I thought these old guys knew had some kind of secret, that, you know, <laughs> they had some mojo, some secret I didn't know about, you know, for, for hunting lions and, and, and whatever, but yeah. And I just talked to him and you know, he was one of the guys that told me a long time ago, I said, you just got to learn how to read those dogs. You got to learn how to read those dogs and a great guy, a super cowboy. I mean, those guys that those mountain cowboys like him and, and, uh, Oh, his, uh, I think is his cousin. That was a good friend of mine, Dale. And, uh, that guy was amazing on a horse and with a rope. And, and of course, Troy, Shelly, all those guys. And then Byron Wilkerson and Keith Wilkerson, they're all related and they're, they're genuine cowboys. I mean, real cowboys, real mountain cowboys. They've been there and done it. They live and breathe it. I mean, that's, that's, that's their life. And Terrell is the kind of the houndsman of the bunch, you know, and, and uh, they lived up there in just a premier spot, you know, up there in the, in the mountains of the Gila and, and uh, the, right there were the muggy owns, I guess. You know, and he used to guide uh, Dale Earnhardt came down, used to come down every year and, and, and hunt with him, hunt elk and then hunt lions. And oh, they wow. were real good buddies. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Terrell's a heck of a guy. Heck of a guy. Well, and it sounds like he was a true, he was a true houndsman. Cause I know you and I have talked about, you know, these old time ranchers slash houndsmen. There's a definite split. I mean, there are some of them that are good houndsmen and they got good at it out of necessity. It mm-hmm, was, mm-hmm. you know, utilitarian dogs. They were, you know, predation work, just trying to keep stuff alive where there were other ones that kind of seemed, you know, the, the love of the hound drove it. Do, do you feel like Terrell was kind of that direction? Well, I mean, I think a lot of those guys, they couldn't keep anything around and feed anything that wouldn't work. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that's why their dogs were in such great demand is because, you know, they didn't feed things that didn't work. Mm-hmm. And, and, and they put enough time into them where they knew what was good and what wasn't good. And, uh, and, and hunted, you know, tough conditions year round, you know, it didn't matter if it was snow or dry or whatever, you know, they, they had to hunt. And, and, and like we said, with, with Sewell and then they're, they're on the ground, you know, they're always out and about checking waters, checking cattle, checking fences, hauling salt. And of course, Terrell, you know, he was a packer. He packed guys into the wilderness to hunt elk and everything else. So, you know, he was a real deal. Still was still kicking. I don't know if he's hunt. Last I heard that he went down into Texas and he would hunt down in Texas some, but I don't know if he's hunting anymore up there in those mountains. Man. Well, we appreciate you bringing all these to us. This is another one from the Warriors of Elgato series that Brett's got showcased over on Born 100 Years Too Late. So make sure to check those out. And uh, we hope, oh, Brett's got one more thing. And I'm, j- and, and I got to give credit to Bruce Kennedy. I mean, he's, yeah. I'm, j- I'm just kind of, facilitating it i just shared them put them up and uh bruce is the one who did all the work you know you know and that's what i need to remember too because i always try to make sure to get bruce kennedy in the episode contributors because he did play a huge part i mean that guy he got a lot of interviews done he did things before you should interview bruce (laughs) yeah if he was still alive i mean i know he he was i got to talk to him visit with him quite a bit but 
you know, he, 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 what do they say? He, he was a visionary, you know, I think, I don't even think podcasts were around back when he, well, 2002 is when he did these. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, he traveled around and did it and made them all into the DVDs and, and yeah, he was quite a guy. Quite well, a guy. We can both agree that, uh, we're glad he did. Yes. You yes. know, if he hadn't, I mean, think of all of these that would not be accessible and you know, maybe that it's a good segue here. I mean, with you, Brett, and doing these interviews, I mean, you really see the importance in this and preserving it and the lifestyle and the heritage for the future hunters, you know, and I really appreciate you bringing that to us, you know, and a really good thing. Things are changing, you know, they're changing fast. And, and that generation of, of hunters, they did things in a way that, that, you know, it's going to be gone. Those stories are going to be gone. Mm-hmm. And I think they need to be, it needs to be documented, you know, what the part of our tradition, our heritage, whatever you want to call it. I don't know, but it needs to be remembered. I agree. But, and that, you know, and that's what I try to do. And I'm glad you guys, you know, helping me do it. I think the, I think the interviews is the podcast format is great for those interviews. I mean, that's guys can be driving down the road or doing whatever and listen to it. And we didn't know how it was going to work out in the beginning. I mean, that that's just <laughs> it, but you got to try it. And we've had such good feedback on these old stories. You know, it's, it's been really nice to see there is an interest in it. It's not a lost way of life with no end. You know, I mean, it, yeah. it doesn't live and die with these guys. This is something that carries on with all of us. Yes. Yes. And there's, there's still guys will look at Mike. I mean, he's, you know, Mike, I think Mike is in his sixties, Mike Root, but, but, you know, he's still out there doing it the old fashioned way. Mm-hmm. So well, we're looking forward to it. So everybody enjoy this episode on Terrell Shelley and we'll see you next time. Okay. Today is March 28th. 2003, we're at the 916 Ranch out of Cliff, New Mexico, home of uh, Mr. Carol Shelley. Uh, Carol, you want to tell us a little bit about yourself, where you were born, that sort of stuff? Yeah, I was born in Silver City, and I was raised here on this ranch. My great-granddad homesteaded here in 1884, and we've been here ever since. My dad used to hunt, and they started hunting years ago and with hounds, and we've kind of been hunting ever since then. Uh, what? Strain of dog do you run right now? Right now, we've got mostly just dogs that, that we've had for years that we've crossed. It's just whatever bred a good dog to good dog, you know, a good male to a good female, and just regardless of whether they were blue ticks or black and tans or what, just whatever worked. Just whatever worked. That's, the best. That's typical lion hunter out in the West, mainly what they do, like you say, is best to best. You have any registered dogs at this time? Not anymore. You know, I've had some registered dogs, but I don't have any 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 right now. I had uh, some that Dale uh, Clay Lee talked me into getting some from Warren Hasslauer years ago, and I had a couple of those. And then I had some uh, Walker dogs that they sent out here from Nebraska. That from my uh, brother-in-law's brother had the world champion, night champion Walker, and we had good luck with those dogs. But they just weren't seemed like they were as good for this type of country as those dogs that the rest of dogs were do you remember what kind of dogs that you started out with i mean uh, they had been your dad's dogs i'm sure yeah the he they had some dogs that they'd had for years that they'd just been crossing you know and they somebody'd have a good dog and they'd breed him to somebody else's good female you know and, and then they'd split the pups up amongst each other and we had some dogs that that uh he bred a buddy allred bred a female he had to an old blue uh dog that Clay lee had cougar and that 
that was supposed to have been, Clell told me it was one of the best rescued dogs that they ever had, that they ever ordered. It came from somewhere back. I think they came from Hasslauer's. But anyway, they they were awful good dogs that we raised. And, and a lot of these dogs I got now are out of those. And then a lot of them go back to some dogs that Blue Rice raised some dogs with Old Man Lily years ago. And I've got one or two of those dogs that we still have. Those are right out of Ben Lily's. Yeah, and you know, a lot of people claim to have dogs out of this and that, but these do go back to the, the dogs that Blue raised that time years ago because Blue was our neighbor up here, and he hunted with my dad all the time. Now, this this country right here is where Ben Lilly hunted and, and lived a uh, long part of his time, right? Yeah, he when he first came to this country, he came here to the ranch and talked to my granddad and got him to take him back up here, and they made a circle back up here, and they saw, I think, two line tracks, and then or three line tracks and then he left out of here and came back uh, oh about a week or so later and he caught two different lines and then he, he stayed around here and hunted a lot through this whole area but he was the main reason why my dad and, and his brothers and my uncles and all them got dogs to begin with because he was collecting bounty off of all these lines he was catching from the ranches and then there at the end he got to to collect in the bounty one line off of every ranch he'd take it to every ranch instead of collecting all, just off of who he caught it on and so they couldn't afford to pay him anymore so they got to getting hounds of their own and then my dad and, and his brothers they got dogs the first good trained dog they had they got from blue rice was a dog named Hyde that blue gave them that they started their pups with and that was the first good dog that they had and that was in the late 20s they were just big old kids when they started hunting with hounds then but and then Jack Hooker was my uh, uncle, and he had dogs. And his dad, Horse Hooker, had hounds for way back, you know, in the 20s and before, even before then, I think. Now, you mentioned Clell Lee. Did you, did you get time with him quite a bit? Yes, sir. I spent some time with Clell over there and helped him take some hunters one winter. And I really enjoyed hunting with him because he could, you know, you could visit with him all night, every night, and he'd just keep telling one story right after another. You know, as long as you'd sit there and ask him questions, he'd keep telling them. And, you know, really a real colorful, interesting guy to visit with. You know, a real friendly type guy. Dale was not as, he was a, more of a cranky type guy, you know, and he wasn't as friendly as Clell was, but he would, you know, Clell always claimed Dale was the better hunter, but I wonder about that because, you know, Clell was an awful good hunter himself. Was Clell the oldest of the bunch? He was the older of the two, yeah. but he, Ernest was, I think, the oldest one. Now, there was five of them, wasn't it? I think there was five or six of those brothers. Two or three of them got killed. Uh, yeah, hunting the, the hunting accident. A guy, a hunter, shot one of them under a tree with a lion, and it that killed him. He was. They had a lion treat, and the guy, the lion jumped out, and the guy whirled to shoot at the lion. The gun went off and shot the one brother. And I think that happened up here on the Diamond Bar Ranch. And Clell and them were said that was a pretty sad deal. You know, they were it took them like two days to get out of there with him. And what about Dub Evans? Did you ever get to meet him? No, I didn't. I never met him. My dad knew him, but I didn't. That was before my time. I don't know what year he died, but that was pretty much before me. How about Shorty Lyons? Oh, yeah, I knew Shorty Lyons. He used to come here and stay here at the ranch and trap in the wintertime a lot. And then later years after I moved here and took over, he uh, used to come here and trap and buy furs from us when we'd set a few traps in the wintertime and catch a few coyotes and stuff. He'd come buy our furs. He was an interesting character, too. He he, uh, he lived up in Muggion. Yeah, he lived in the town of Muggion, the old mining town up there. How about the lion population today? 
compared to say 30 years ago 40 years you know i think we don't have as near as many lines right here in this area i think there's a, a good line population in the overall but right here in this area we don't have as many lines as we used to because we don't have the deer we used to have there's, there's not hardly any deer left and that's what used to bring all those lines in here so much what do you think happened to the deer well i think the coyotes killed most of the fawns every year until eventually those old does eventually just died off or they caught them too did they did they have a spell of uh, heartworms back in the 60s they could have but back in the 60s and early 70s is when they really peaked out here when there was lots of deer back up here on your dogs uh, what what type of feed do you feed them I feed my dogs Purina dog chow because we've tried different dog foods through the years and it seems like when you start hunting them really hard you got to have a dog food that that'll they'll hold up because a lot of those other dog foods would just seem like the more you fed them the, the thinner they get and the weaker they get you know and then when you're hunting them hard you got to have something that will really stay with them you know and give them a lot of energy and then then a lot of times when we're hunting hard we'll take a little bit of like Mazzola corn oil and sprinkle a teaspoon of that over it those dogs need fat for energy you know and you feed them these high protein dog foods and that's not good for those older dogs because it's too hard on our kidneys how about medication you do all your own medication yeah we give all of our own shots our seven way uh distempered all that stuff and then we give her rabies shots and all of that too in our own worming program and stuff um pups uh i'm starting pups how do you like well, we start letting those pups go with us just when they're about, oh, I'd say three or four months old. As soon as they're big enough to travel, we let them follow us around the house here and, and then, you know, take them with us when we go horseback when it's not going to be too far for them. But that's the main thing is starting those pups and getting those pups to, to mind. And, if, you know, my dad always claimed if you if you teach those pups to mind and get them to where you can call them to you and teach them what come here means that you've eliminated a lot of your problems before you ever get started hunting with them and i think that's one of the keys to because if you don't do much with them and then you just take them out well they're just going to go wild and run everything and do all kinds of things they don't need to be doing and pick up all kinds of bad habits you almost have to have total control over them at all times you got to have control over them. If you don't, they're off doing something you don't want them to do. And you just, you know, they got to mind you but and respect you, but they also got to like you too, you know, and like a friendly dog, that, you know, that, that minds good. And usually the dogs that are real disciplined and mind good are friendly type dogs. You know, they're not afraid of you or anything like that. You never use training sense, do you? I've never used any of that kind of stuff. We've always just taken them hunting, you know, with the old dogs and get them to trailing. And once you get them to trailing and treeing, well, they're, they'll go on. We've never used any of that other kind of stuff, though. Uh, how about shocking collars? You use those? We've used shocking collars, you know, when they first came out with those, we got a set of those Tritronics. And I think, you know, I think they're a good deal because it's a little better than you can kind of got control over them when they get out there. Cause when a dog takes off after a deer in this country up here, they're pretty hard to stop, you know, and if you haven't got a shocking collar on them or something, you know, they're just, and you spend a lot of your time trying to run your pups down and your horses give out and everything else, you know, you just can't, 
And then like uh, Dale told me, he said after they came out with those collars and he started using them, he could train six dogs where he used to could train two, same amount of time, you know, because you just got more control over, over them than you used to have. We used to try to neck them together a lot, but when we had a lot of dogs, you know, we necked a lot of the young dogs together to keep them with us and stuff. But I, I really like the shocking collars, especially these new ones where they got a variable on them where you can turn it up and you can either just bump them a little bit or you can turn it way up and really shock one or you can kind of, you know, if one's just out there and he won't pay attention to you, you can kind of just bump him a little bit without having to really shock him. Depends on how bad you are. Well, and that's got a lot to do with it. <laughs> and it's it's kind of... It's kind of comical anymore because when a dog gets after a deer or runs something he's not supposed to run, instead of getting so dang mad and trying to run catch him, you can sit over there and punch the button. And <laughs> it's kind of makes it's kind of different deal. It's a lot easier on you too. Yeah, I can I can see that. When you're lying lying hunting, how many dogs do you like to run at one time? Oh, I like to run probably five or six or somewhere in that neighborhood or something but we used to hunt with a lot of dogs because we had a lot of dogs and we had a lot of hunters and we'd try to keep enough dogs where we could bust them up in two and three packs where we could hunt every day but then a lot of times when we didn't have any hunters we'd wind up with you know 12 15 dogs at one time hunting with us and that's a little bit too many but a lot of those weren't carrying their weight they were just pups and young dogs and stuff like that that you just need to go Till they learn something. It's kind of tough hunting with that many dogs, but probably five or six is a good number to hunt with. But that five or six, now you don't uh, yoke those up anymore. You just no. let them all go. We just let them, we just turn them loose here and ride off here horseback, and they'll follow us all day, you know, and then they'll get out and hunt and strike and pick up whatever the you're trying to get them to find you know those old strike dogs they know what you they know what they're looking for. You don't have to be trying to show them what to do. They know what they're doing and they'll They'll pick it up and get it started, but we've never led them or anything like that. It's all been by voice command. Just holler at them, make them come on, go with us. And, you know, they mind awful good in the hunt. The way we hunt, they got to mind, you know, or else you you won't get back here at the house with them if you don't. I think I think if any lion hunter or even a bear hunter are going to be successful, they have to take care of their dog and their stock, their horse. Oh yeah, that's you know, and that's your if you're doing it for a living, that's your livelihood, and it's just like anything else, you got to take care of it, or it's not going to produce for you. Same with your horses and mules, whatever you're riding, you know, in this rough country, you've got to take care of them and feed them. I know we grain ours twice a day and and hay them, you know, too, and that keeps them in. Plus, using them every few days, we try to rotate them around where we're not using the same one day in and day out. Because this country, after they carry you all day up here, you know, they need two or three days rest. They're all shot, too. Oh, yeah, they're all shot. you got to have them shot up here in this country. Cause, and you got to have horses and mules that, that are kind of raised in this country and know this type of country. Because if you don't, you, you bring them up from the flats down here and they don't know how to get around. And we've had people bring horses up here through the years. and They just seems like they have all kinds of problems with them. They don't know how to get around. And those are the kind of horses that will hurt you up here. Well, too, there's all kinds of boogers out there. Well, so. yeah, and they'll find them, too. <laughs> Yeah. Would you rather run a lion or a bear? Well, I'd rather run a lion any day than a bear. <laughs> this country's so rough up here that you get after a bear and 
you'll see your dogs for about a few minutes, watch them get, you hear them, they'll be treed somewhere, you know, and you'll spend half a day trying to find them. Yeah, if not long. They're trying to follow them, you know, because you'll just hear them as they're talking over the next ridge. In this country, you don't get around it too awful fast up here. A lot of people who are just starting out, they think those bears are easy to catch because they're big and fat and slow, but that's not the case. Well, it may be the case in some other areas where you can get around this more rolling hill type country, but not up here, you know, and they're just too, and, and if they're not fat now, they when they start running, their heart stop, and it gets your dogs, you know, after you run those bear a while, and you can sure ruin a good pack of lion dogs running bear with them because they get them so wound up and they run and bark and they want to just run and ball, you know, and go on and. And then after you get back in the fall, get through and go back to hunting line with them, it, it's sure hard to get them to settle back down and get them to cold trailing a line again, you know, like you need them to do. So you won't, you won't run bear at all with your line, though? Oh, I used to, but I don't anymore because I don't care about running them, period. <laughs> <clears throat> you know, I've asked that question to all the line hunters, and every one of them say the same thing. They don't want anything to do with those nasty bears. Now, I run enough of them bear that I don't need to run them anymore. They all say that they just, that's all they want to do is just run the line, nothing else. If the bear really get fat on the acorns, you know, you can have a lot of fun taking some bear hunters and get into a, a good acorn crop where it's just loaded with bear. Generally, those bear won't run too awful far, you know, but boy, you try to run them in the spring of the year when they come out of their hibernation, you know, and they're poor after they come out and they can run from now on. And when they get fat, they can't run very far because they over, they get too hot, you know, they just can't run. But some of them old big boars will just turn around and wade drop back through those hounds and you'll find out whether you've got some good bear dogs or not. Find out if that's really what you want to that's do. That's right. <laughs> you'll, wade, you'll wade the bear dogs out from the, the others right quick. Also, the lion hunters, they, they talk about one of the reasons they like chase lions is that they're involved with chase. They're right there with the dog and see what's going on so much of the time. Yeah, that's right, because the dogs, when they're cold trailing the line, they don't move very fast, and you can generally stay with them, you know, and watch them the whole time they're trailing. You know, you can see the whole race and everything, and a lot of times you'll see them trail right up to a bluff or a ledge or a bush or something and see the line come out right in front of them, you know, and see the whole deal, and that's what the, the good part of it is, just kind of stay with those dogs and, instead of, you know, like some of these guys are doing, putting these tracking collars and stuff on them and this go sit in the truck and wait till they beep them in somewhere well they miss out on the best part of the hunt by doing that now you don't rig your dogs or run off snowmobiles or atvs or anything no, I've, horse I've never done any of that kind of stuff you know we just haul around to different ranches and hunt but as far as hunting out of a vehicle or snowmobile or four-wheeler or anything like that i've never hunted like that i think you're taking away for a lot of the sport of it when you do that i just I think the, the, the hunting it on horses and mules and, and just take your dogs and leave and go hunt until you find a track, I think that's the, the best sport there is as far as doing it is, is the way to hunt lions. You know, there's other ways to do it, but, you know, there's a lot of people anymore that they're not into the chase or the hunt. They just want to kill something, you know, and that, that to me, when you tree one, that's the end of the hunt then, you know, that's no big deal to do either shoot him or take pictures or whatever you're going to do at the end. but it's getting there is the part that I enjoy. I've always said that if a person was an expert and would write a book on scent, they could write about a 500 page book on scent alone. Uh, I know that you've had some experience with 
the Santa and some of it being easy to run and some of it not. You know, that the scent is the thing that they've argued about ever since people have had hounds. And I've read a lot of articles on it and stuff, but I've seen a lot of lines that, you know, when a line starts, when they're just traveling along, just traveling, going somewhere, a dog can trail them pretty easy. But if a line starts stalking something or if he gets scared or hears the dogs coming and he's trying to slip away from them, he starts sneaking along, the dog just can't hardly trail them when they do that. And I don't know what they do either, like when they're stalking a deer or something like that, if they have a way of controlling their scent or something they're bound to have because when a line gets scared, or if he starts sneaking along, you can see him sneak along in front of the dogs, and then they just can't hardly trail it. I, we was down there hunting on a ranch here a few years ago, and this guy was coming off to a spring there up in some really rough country, a lot of bluffs and rims in there. And this guy said last summer they had a fire up here, and there was a line come out from this spring here when we rode up. And we rode up there, and there come a line out of that spring, just right where he was pointing at, just as he said that. And we took the dogs over there and put them on it, and they just they trailed that thing like it's a week old because that line, he went to sneaking out that hillside, going from bush to bush, you know, just trying to stay hid. And when he went out there, I mean, they couldn't trail him, and that guy kept thinking there's something wrong with my dogs. And I said, well, the way that if he get up and run, they could really catch him then, but they can't trail him when he's sneaking along like that. And I've seen that happen several times. I know one time we, we trailed, we hit a line at a, killed a deer and they trailed it up to a bluff and the lion was laying in that bluff and he slipped out there and jumped off of that bluff and we saw him jump off of the bluff and they took the dogs around there and put them on it well they trailed it pretty good and that lion would go to a tree and then he he'd tree and then he'd come out of there and then he'd leave again and we trailed that thing all day long and finally we saw it several times sneaking along in front of the dogs and finally late that evening we saw it sneaking along the hillside had come around under us and I just had a pistol and I got shooting at it, that pistol and hit it in the leg and it run off of that hill and the dogs saw it then and they run down there and that thing turned and come right back up the hill and the dogs had overrun it and when it would it would come right back up its track and then they'd have to go straighten it out again they did that three or four times and finally this one dog figured out what it was doing and it turned with it and when it did they caught it there on the ground but i've seen several instances like that where they 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 pull that sneaking along and then i saw one lion here a few i guess his last winter that the dogs treated and just as we rode up to the tree the it jumped out <clears throat> and broke the run and come out the hillside on the across the canyon from us and we watched it and the dog it went behind the bush and all the dogs were really running and they run by that bush and when they all the last dog went by the line come out of the bush and come right back up its tracks and jumped in a tree there and we just sat there to see what was going to happen we watched those dogs for probably 10 or 15 minutes they'd come back and they'd try to go and try to go because they didn't want to come back they kept trying to go on with it and finally this one old dog she figured out what's going on and she winded it she made a circle around there trying to pick it up and she winded it and went over there to the tree and went to tree and also uh some of the guys were told me about when the lion just just get to the steady trot that those dogs are going to have a horrible time trying to catch that fox. well when a, if when they jump a line if he'll get up and run they can run him just as fast as they can go but if he hits that long trot he can trot for 
ever. You know, he can't run very far because his lungs are so small and he runs out of air right quick. And he'll tree pretty quick when he gets up and runs like that. But if he hits that long trot, and a lot of these lines that's been messed with will hear the dogs coming and they'll get up and start trotting off. And they'll make those little curves and turn backs and stuff like that or come back up their tracks. Or, and when they start doing all that, every time they do one of those, you take 15 or 20 minutes to straighten it out and you're that, that much further behind him. Sometimes when you get after one of those lines, you're further behind them in the evening than you was when you started. Yeah, all the line hunters have mentioned that. They've experienced that same thing. Do you consider this dry ground hunting? Oh, yeah, this is dry ground hunting here, especially after the, the moisture goes out of these mountains. You know, it's there's a little moisture now. But when you try to hunt up here in the snow in the wintertime, it's usually the freezing and thawing so bad that it messes you up so bad you can't hardly trail them. You know, they'll hit the patch of snow and then the sun will come out and melt that snow while you're trying to trail it and it just erases all the scent. It makes it awful hard to do, but yeah, this is dry ground hunting. So you, you and actually, in actuality, you, you really not hunted too much in snow. No, I've hunted just in, when it comes to snowstorm here, you know, in the wintertime when there's quite a bit of snow, but it doesn't usually last very long here. It's usually gone within a couple of three days. But it, like I say, it's kind of... The line, if you hit them when in a deep snow like that, you can almost catch them with one of these little terriers, you know, in the deep snow. It's not it's not like hunting them on dry ground. You, what do you think the future of flying, flying hunting is? you think we're going to be able to do it much longer or be around for a while? Or? Well, I've always thought we'd be able to, but then after this new governor we got, I don't know. They've, they've changed the game commission, and I don't. it don't look good in New Mexico from now on. I'm kind of awful afraid what they're going to do to the lion hunting because they've already cut out part of the bear hunts just since he took office so i'm kind of afraid to tell they've been trying to stop the lion hunting for years and he made the statement the other day that the ranchers have had control of the game commission too long and they were going to change all that so i kind of look for them to really take after a lot of these hunting same thing we have in arizona Oh, I think so, because California's already cut it out, and if New Mexico does, then when they end it, and the sad part about it is the people that control all that stuff live in these big cities, and they're not out here living in the country dealing with it every day on an everyday basis like we are, and they, they just, they feel sorry for the lion or the bear or whatever, you know, and they don't really understand what really goes on. They've just been, they've read something or saw something on TV or something like that and they they don't know what goes on but there that's where all the votes are oh yeah most definitely so in in all your years of here on the range now hunting and everything how many lions do you think you've seen without a dog you just see them out there. oh i've probably seen four or five that's you know and most of them was just when we were either elk hunting or working cattle or something we saw a lion one time over here in deer season and they're pretty secretive you know you never when they see you they just crouch down behind a bush or hide or something like that because we saw one we come over a hill late one evening just as the sun was going down and we met a lion coming around the trail to us and in an open hillside and he broke to run and run across the canyon and we saw him go out in in this ledge over there and go behind the bush so these guys wanted me to kick him out, so I decided I'd go up the canyon and come around the hillside to where he was at, and I came back around that hillside, and I knew right where he was at, and I rode up there and looked off that ledge. It was about three or four foot high, and he was hit down in behind that bush there, 
and he never would have moved again if I hadn't made him get up. And then, you know, one day when I was hunting with Cleo Lee over there on the blue, he sent me and Justin Marks up the road. To, it had come a little old powdery snow up there one morning, and he said, go up that road and see if those lines have crossed that hot at that road, if you can find where they crossed in that saddle up there, and, and then we'll know which side of the road to hunt on the day, because the day before we had trailed them on this one side of the road, and he said, we'll go back over there if they haven't crossed. So we went up that road, and we got up there to a cut in the road where they took the dozers when they built that road, cut a big bank off of there, and there was something that jumped off of that bank, and come off of that bank and hit in the road and then went off of the hill there and, and Justin stopped and we got to looking and a deer had come off of this real bad place there and running and I told Justin I said well it that don't look normal for that deer to come off of that bank like that you know so I said there's something scared him there and we I was walking down the road and I said well here's where a line come across the road right here after that deer you know and and he's standing out there on the bank and he said well there's the line right there <laughs> He's right there under the bank, you know, he just couldn't have been a few minutes in front of us. And I had my dogs in the back of the truck and Clell was back down there with the horses. And so I said, let's turn the dogs loose. So we turned the dogs loose right there and they took off there and got them started. And they run that thing about two miles before they treated. And I left their foot following the dogs thinking they was going to treat right quick, you know. And, and then Clell had that hunter down there and that hunter told Clell, he said, I can hear some dogs barking up there. And, and Clell said, no, they're not running anything. They've Them boys have stopped and they're looking at something and those dogs are just barking in the back of the truck. So that hunter didn't say anymore and pretty soon he told Clell, he said, well, those dogs that I hear are coming down this ridge across from us now. And Clell, he really got excited then. He said, oh, they've turned out on the line. They've turned out on the line, you know, and he got all excited and it was quite a deal. That, but as far as just seeing them, you hardly ever see one. I know I saw one one time on a sheep hunt. I was glassing the hillside about daylight one morning and, and just happened to pick up a line walking around the hillside, you know, and I watched him for quite a while. And I went back and got Leonard Hudson and his dogs because it was up there by his house. And we went up there and those dogs trailed that thing like it's a week old because he was sneaking around that hillside, you know, and they couldn't hardly trail it at all. And he kept asking me, you sure that was a lion? I said, I know it was a lion. <laughs> and he didn't think it was, but it, you know, we found some tracks there and it was a lion, but it's just, it's, you just don't see them very often. And the only reason you'd see one like that is with these high-powered binoculars that they got now, you know, and just happened to pick him up as he was coming around the hill. I think I've seen three in, in my lifetime, and, and that was back in the 60s when I was doing a lot of deer hunting. That's when I saw them. Only three. I think it was Jay Frame Doby, and, and when he wrote the book about the legend of Ben Lilly, said, quoted Ben Lilly as saying that lions are sometimes uncommonly cautious. Yeah, they are. <laughs> You know, the minute they see you or see something, everyone I've ever been around, they just crouch down. Just like a house Just cat. like a house cat. Even when the dogs have them bait on a ledge or something and they'll see you coming, they may be laying out there, but they'll see you coming and they'll kind of crouch down, you know, and try to try to hide themselves where you can't see them. And they're watching you to see if you see them or not, you know. What about doubling back on their track? You've experienced that, I'm sure. Yeah, they, I think they have a, Every now and then you'll get after one, and he, if he gets in, in the lead of the dog, sometimes they'll, 
and I don't know if they do it on purpose or whether they, you know, they'll run by a tree and then they'll come, they'll they'll go on out their ways and decide that's a better tree and turn around and come back to that tree or whether, but I do know that some of those old smart lines, because there used to be an old line up here that my dad and Blue Rice ran for years that, that she would do that. They'd get after her and they, they never did catch her. They, they run her for about 10 years up here and she'd run up there and then all of a sudden it just dead end and they'd find maybe 50 or 100 yards back up the trail where she you'd went and then come back and turn off and go a different way and it it really helped those dogs it trained those dogs up to where they got to where they knew her you know and knew what that when it come to a dead end like that they better go back and go to checking it and see where she went because she was awful smart like that and i think blue finally killed her with the rifle just saw her slipping along in front of the hounds across the canyon but she'd hear those dogs coming and she'd get up and leave they'd messed with her so much you know and once you get one trained up like that you know like my dad used to say if a lion was really smart it'd take a they a pack of dogs in the country could catch him if he was really smart which they they're getting a, some of these road hunters and stuff are training some of these lines up now to where they're getting hard to catch. Some of them are. What's the biggest line you ever caught? Oh, the biggest line that I ever caught and weighed, weighed 165 pounds, uh, field dressed. It was right at eight foot, eight or eight one, I think long. And then I've caught another and it was right at eight foot, but that's about the biggest line. You know, I've heard of bigger lines, but I, I didn't see them. You just hear about them, you know. And you catch a line that weighs 150, 160 pounds. That, that's a big line for this country. I think they probably get bigger in the north country up there, you know, but I don't think they get much bigger down here. You were uh, really good friends with Dale Earnhardt, weren't you? Yeah, I took Dale elk hunting several years, and then he came lion hunting with us. We met him down in Texas and took him on a lion hunt about, I think, a couple of weeks before he got killed. And it was quite an experience taking him. He was quite a character now. He loved to hunt. He never had hunted with dogs much, and that and we caught him that lion, and he kind of fell in love with that. He wanted to do a bunch more of that. You know, he was fixing to come a lot of times after that. Was he pretty honorary in camp? Oh, he was a lot of fun. He always had some... If he got to, after he, the first few years he came, he was kind of quiet, you know, but after he got to be good friends with him and knew him real well, he, he was always pulling some prank on somebody or something. They liked to joke around and laugh, and we had a lot of good jokes and teases we pulled on each other through the years. Well, didn't he buzz you one time up here? Oh, yeah, he came up here, uh, brought his daughter up here, and we went, took my granddaughter, and we went fishing up here, and when we left, he he went on to town and had his had that little Learjet and sitting in town and I was working on a bulldozer out here on the Mesa laying a pipeline and I was going up to Mesa and all of a sudden I saw that jet come right in front of the windshield on that dozer. He he couldn't have been fifty foot off the ground when he come by in that jet. And then another time I was sitting here in the middle of the afternoon one day and the phone rang and he said, What are you doing? And I said, I'm just sitting here, why? And he said, Well look outside, we'll be there in about ten minutes. <laughs> and boy up the creek they come they like to took the roof off the house you know when they come by <laughs> he was trying to show those people the ranch and and he turned that jet back so fast that 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 pilot told him he said they can't see the ranch because they all got their head stuck against the window and he he turned it back so fast that he was quite a character well he had two two uh, jets didn't he? he had a lear jet and then he had a couple of king airs and then he had a uh, two Brazilian 30 passengers that they haul those race teams around. One year they brought that Brazilian out here, and so they could haul all their 
elk heads and meat and stuff back and then there was five or six of them in that big old plane and the pilot and the co-pilot and the stewardess because that uh, brazilian had to have a stewardess on it too you know so they had the whole works that came and then one year they buzzed the camp over there we had a i left my son and my daughter over there and some other guys were tearing camp down and after they left here they'd gotten a plane and went back up and flew right over the camp and went right down muggy own creek over there and hit the tops of those trees you know and, and the sound of that king air off in the bottom of that canyon you know really vibrates oh, down in there well, well he drove his rental cars just like he did his race car too didn't he oh yeah he he had a suburban here one year and my son left with him going to phoenix and I, I don't remember how long it took him, but it didn't take him long to get to Phoenix from here. I think like four hours to get to the Phoenix airport from here. So he wore the white lettering off the sidewalls of those tires from going around those corners. They went off through Mule Creek and off through the Needle Zion and out through Globe, you know, all that crooked road. And yeah. He said, man, they did take a ride through there, too. <laughs> oh, I can imagine, especially him driving. My goodness. But you, you've got time with him for about, what, 12, 15 years? About 12 or 13 years, I think, we hunted with him. I bet that would be a lot of fun. It was. He was a lot of fun. Then he brought some other guys. He brought Terry Labonte a couple of times with him. And, and then Jody Davis came, a baseball player. Well, Jody's the one that got Dale started coming. And then I think they brought Goose Gossage with him, the relief pitcher for the Yankees. And Keith Moreland and was second baseman or shortstop for chicago when jody was a catcher for chicago and they had a lot of fun those guys were all a lot of fun to be around they could tell some pretty wild stories about some of the things they'd done too oh, <laughs> but you still take hunters don't you i take a few but not too many anymore i still take some of dale's group still comes every year elk hunting and we don't take many lion hunters anymore just occasionally somebody that wants to go that we've taken before or something like that we've kind of slowed way down on all that stuff well, way back when you were doing a lot of that oh yeah we took a lot of hunters there for a while did you uh take some real characters uh that came in here uh... yeah we did we had some pretty you know different guys i took some doctors out of el paso i had a whole clientele of them all those doctors came with us for, through the years and we had just you know we made a lot of awful good friends out of all of them and some of them turned out to be real characters and we had some airline pilots that now those guys were something else as far as characters they could tell stories and talk all night long did you have some that you uh didn't walk back oh yeah we had some that we didn't ever book again <laughs> <laughs> But we never did advertise or anything. All ours was by word of mouth. So we didn't get very many of those kind of guys. Most of them was friends of friends that we'd taken before, you know, and they kind of knew that, you know, don't send us anybody that we'd have problems with. So most of them were pretty good kind of people. Almost all the line hunters, the, the very successful line hunters, they, they don't advertise. Well, boy, if you advertise, you get a little of everything then. And, I mean, you get a lot of people that, you just sure don't want to hunt with it they're not very fun because like my dad always say if you want to find out what kind of guy he is just go to camp with him for four or five days and you'll find out what kind of personality he's yeah. got right quick he said because his what he's his front he's putting up will show up in two or three days looking back would you have changed anything no i wouldn't i might have hunted a lot more that would have been the only thing I've done. But you got to kind of work to keep things going, you know, so you can hunt. Now, you, you live here on a, on a big ranch that he's actually born on, really. Uh, Fourth-generation rancher, and uh, you're so far out here that you still don't have electrical 
power. But there are people all over this country who give anything, anything to have the life that you have. And I know that you enjoy it. And and having said that, is there not not being the rancher now, is there something that you secretly would have liked to have done? Well, not really. I've got to do a lot of things, most everything that I've ever wanted to do. You know, I've been to Africa several times and I've really enjoyed doing that. You know, you go over there and you see those lines over there and they're a little bit bigger than our lines, you know, and <laughs> yeah. you get a good look at one of those and you see a line track over there, you know, and, and the first line track I saw over there, I thought it was a big track until I saw a big track, you know, and it's about the size of a saucer, you know, one of those big line tracks. And, but you, they look just like our line tracks, except they're bigger, you know, in the same way with the leopards, they look just like our, in fact, the leopard track and the line track, you can't already tell them apart. About straight. Well, you you see those scrapes over there, those lines over there. Now, when you see one of those line scrapes in Africa, that's a scrape. Now, it's a big old wide thing, but these lines that we got here, you know, they scrape a lot. And, and I guess you, everybody claims they make them with their front or their back feet, but I'm sure they make them with their back feet, you know, after things I've seen. And you see scrapes against the pine tree or against the bluff or something where there's no way he could have made them with his front feet. And then watching these films on TV and then, you know, and then Clell told me too, all of those they had in captivity, they watched them for years, you know, and they all scraped with their hind feet. So I'm pretty sure they do. I told you about Wiley Carroll writing everybody. <laughs> Want to know what they thought and everybody thought it was 50-50. I read that book he wrote about that. Uh, dude, I was going down there to interview him and Daryl said, be sure to ask him. Well, I, I think I'm pretty sure they make them with their back feet. You know, I don't know. I, different guys I've heard argue the other way around, but uh, I think the only time they use their front feet is when they're covering up a kill or you know, scratching around doing something like that. But when they do that kick with their back feet and then squirt that urine on it, it I'm pretty it has to be done with their back feet. Yeah. Especially after you've seen them do it. Especially on these wildlife films where they get all that stuff, you know, and they film them doing all that. Well, after you've seen it done, there's no doubt then. Your son lives in Phoenix? Yes. What does he do over there? He works for a construction company over there. Does he like lion hunt? Oh yeah, he loves to lion hunt. He's hunted. He's helped me help me take a lot of hunters through the years. And he likes to hunt much, but uh, bunch. But he, you know, he has to make a living and work somewhere, and that's where the money is in those big towns. And your daughter is married to a rancher here too. Yeah, and they got a place over here this side of Silver that they take care of, and he's got hounds too. And he likes to hunt quite a bit too. Got some pretty good dogs. Anything else you like to say here? Talk about? No, you know, I was wondering, you know, you get to talking about the, the people that influence you a lot there. You know, when I was a kid growing up, my dad hunted a lot and he had a lot of friends that hunted, you know, and all of my dad's brothers hunted and they were all good lion hunters. And Jack Hooker was an uncle of mine and he was an awful good lion hunter. They hunted back, you know, the hard way in the 20s and the 30s and the 40s. And then there was two old guys that hunted with my dad a lot, Hollis Williams and Elgin Clark, and they both had a lot of dogs, you know, and were awful good hunters. And Blue Rice, my neighbor up here, was my dad's cousin, and gosh, he got started hunting way back when, you know, and he hunted up until he couldn't ride anymore. They were all, you know, you just kind of idolized those guys when you was a kid and couldn't wait till they'd come in in the evening so you could hear all the stories they could tell, you know, and they were just awful good hunters, all of them were. Well, every ranch in this country at that time had. Oh, yeah. Every ranch from Silver City all the way to Reserve had a pack of hounds. 
you know, and they hunted the year round, hunted lions and bear and everything, you know, but that's where they put seasons on all that stuff too. How about now? Is there that many uh, they, I bet I'm the only one left between here and reserve that's got hounds. They, you know, as far as the ranchers, there's some of these guides and outfitters around that have hounds, but mm-hmm. I can't think of me and my son-in-law and about the only ones still ranching that got dogs. My neighbor up here had dogs and he sold his ranch, so he's not there anymore. That there are not many of them left as far as the ranchers that hunt. Those there's a guy at Glenwood, Sewell Goodwin, still got dogs and he's an awful good hunter. Got a ranch up there and he's hunted for years. But they're just you know, as far as the ranchers and the ranchers started hunting out of trying to survive, you know, is why most of them started hunting with hounds. Yeah. You know, you take all over the whole southwest, there was lion hunters everywhere because and most all of them were ranchers too there weren't any guiding outfitters in that just hunted there was a few guys that worked for the biological survey and animal damage control and that you know that had hounds but there wasn't a lot of them either i don't know how a young man can get started today as a guiding outfitter with the game seasons that they have now it's hard that's one of the reasons why we kind of quit running bear because you they, they have the bear hunt so messed up with the elk hunts in the fall that you can't hardly run enough bear to ever get your dogs trained up, you know, and, and you can't set up a camp like we used to and run several hunts through it, through one camp, you know, you just can't do that anymore. So it's it just kind of phasing everything out the way it looks like to me. Yeah. You'd have to really want to hunt. Now, I go down in Texas quite a bit, and there's quite a few lions down in that country, but it's all private land, and you have to be in with some of those ranchers down there. You can't get on there to hunt, you know. They got quite a few lions, and they'll probably always have lions down there, but those ranches are being bought up by oil people and, and, and hunting clubs and stuff are buying all those ranches up, you know, so it's, they're not really your true cattle ranchers or... And a lot of them like to have the game and like to have the lions, and some of them are hunting the lions so to protect their deer and their, everything else they've got on there too. So you know, it's getting tough, harder and harder. I think the best part of all this hunting and stuff is behind us. Yeah, as we know it, you know, there may be better other types, but the way we know it, I think the best of it's all but gone, already behind us. I've said it many times for the last five, six years. I'm glad. On the far end of my life. Oh yeah, me too. The way everything's happening so fast, and so many people moving out and buying these ranches and subdividing them to where you know it's just not the same as it used to be. The wide open spaces. No more. Oh, that's right. There ain't gonna be no more. And there's a few of those places down in Texas where there's still big wide open spaces, but there are little settlements where they're buying and dividing those places up too. You know. Yeah. Those other two down there are just got this is the kennel. Terrible kennel. <laughs> See that heart on that dog? Yeah. She's got a perfect heart on. Come here, heart. Back there on her back. Up there on her hip, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Heart. Heart. Come here. You sure get a picture of that five dollars that I want off a day or right there? <laughs> He signed it. What you mean, man? Oh, we got an argument over how big the elk was. They lost. Is I lost on it. <laughs>